Hello, it's so lovely to be here with you to be able to share from Ephesians 5 today. Uh, But before we start, let me just pray. Lord, I just thank you so much for all of the things that you have done in our life. I thank you for the little bit of sun that we've had this week. Uh, I thank you for who you are and just all of the things you've done through Jesus and and throughout time and in each of our lives, the ways that you've been working. And we just ask that today as we come to your word, that you will give us ears to hear and hearts to understand uh, and the desire to respond in faith and obedience. Amen. So I, I found out a really interesting fact this week. I just thought goldfish had really bad memories. And my friend said to me, oh, they actually don't have, their memories are not that bad. And so I went on a Google search for animals that have terrible memories. What I found were some really interesting ones. Apparently chimpanzees, for example, have terrible short-term memories. But what was real, one that was really, really interesting was seals. I didn't know that seals had really bad short-term memories. Their short-term memory only lasts for about 18 seconds, which means that most of the time, they have no idea what they're doing. They have no idea what's going on. Um, I just thought that was an interesting fact. But also, as we come to this passage in Ephesians 5, 15 to 20, I thought it'd be really great to refresh our memories in case our short-term memory isn't that great uh, and jump back to the start of this chapter just to see uh, how it all connects. So let's start by reading Ephesians 5 together. So Ephesians 5, 1 to 20 says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. The fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it says, wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. And then we come to what we're looking at today. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a powerful passage that is. And just prior to this passage that we're focusing on today, 
Paul, he really drives home the point that knowing Jesus means waking up from the sleep of death. Knowing Jesus means that we no longer live in darkness, but in the light. And because we live in the light, we must also live as light. We must live a new life because of the transforming power of the gospel. So jumping in to Ephesians 5.15, let's go there. There's a call to live wisely. Paul says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. This note of be very careful should tell us that we need to pay attention. (laughs) Something important is here. Something critical is at stake. And if we jump back to Ephesians 5, 5 to 6, we see that it is our inheritance in the kingdom of God that is at stake if we are living not as a follower of Jesus, if we are not living in the light. Um, that God's wrath comes on the disobedient. There is something important at stake, so we need to pay attention and we need to live wisely, not unwisely. We need... Living wisely, it's not about knowledge accumulation, as we often think of the term wisdom today. Wise living is about a life that demonstrates fear of the Lord. And it's not a fear that has you cowering in a corner. It's a fear that knows that he is a just and righteous judge. And it's a reverence and awe of God, knowing his power and his sovereignty. And then that in turn causes us to go, we want to live in the way that God calls us to live. We want to live according to his ways, which I guess brings us back to that very first verse in Ephesians, which is follow then the follow uh, God's example as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. Uh, so we're to imitate Christ. It's about knowing and living the life that Jesus lived. And then we continue on with the next verse. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. We are to take every opportunity to live wisely because the days are evil. And and this this isn't just about taking opportunities to evangelize, but it is. That's that's not um, an excuse not to. It is about evangelizing. It's about taking every opportunity to speak the love of Jesus, to challenge and to encourage and to answer questions and respond to criticisms with grace. But it's also about taking and making the most of every single opportunity presented to you to live like Jesus. Every opportunity to use your words every opportunity to use your actions, every opportunity to shape your thoughts and focus your thoughts, and every opportunity to check and change your motivation, taking every opportunity to imitate Christ, to live this wise life, this life that fears God. And why do we do this? We do it because the days are evil. Um, Time is passing opportunities to live wisely they're coming and they're going and they're coming and they're going and if we as believers don't take these opportunities to imitate Christ then these opportunities may be taken and used for evil and we don't want that we want to see evil done away with for good we want to overcome evil with good and he continues on now after this making the most of every opportunity say 
Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And this idea of not being foolish and these wise, this is what Paul is really contrasting here, this idea of wisdom and foolishness. Not being foolish, it means understanding God's desires for our lives and for the world. It's not just an individual call, it's a communal, societal thing. What does God want to do? What does he, how does he want to move? How does he want you to join in him in what he's doing? How has he already been moving according to his will? How does he want us to live, including how does he want us to speak, to act, to think, to feel even? And what attitude does he want us to have? And this little bit here, Paul is, is contrasting this idea of wise living, which is about living in the way of Jesus versus this foolish living, living in the way of the world. So we have these two images then of wise versus foolish, of walking in the way of Jesus and walking in the way of the world. But Paul also gives us another example to contrast here with the way that we should be living says in verse 18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the spirit. So this idea of drunkenness is almost a form of foolishness. It's loss of control over your actions and your words, your thoughts and your feelings even. You think of someone who is drunk and the things that they do, and it's senseless really, isn't it? It's wasteful living. They're not making the most of every opportunity. They're not living knowing that time is passing and that the end is near. It's a destructive lifestyle. It's unacceptable. It doesn't build up people. It doesn't lead to holiness. In fact, it often destroys relationships and society, leads to a loss of direction, an aimlessness, if you will. It's a symbol, an image of the waste of a life the senselessness of a life without God. If you're, if you're drunk, you're, you're in this senseless, foolish state, you're, you're, you can't be focusing on God and on his will. So Paul contrasts this idea of this drunkenness, this wasteful living, this senselessness, this foolishness, as the language in the previous section said, this idea of being filled with the Spirit. Now, being filled with the Spirit is not simply about being saved and receiving the Holy Spirit upon coming to faith, upon initial conversion or turning to follow Jesus. It's this idea that the Holy Spirit so completely fills you and takes over, in a sense, your life, that his presence in you is just so clearly visible and evident in the way that you speak, in the way that you act, in the way that you think, and even by your motives. And it can be seen by those around you. The lives of believers, the lives of people in the church, of you, are to be completely guided and directed and driven by the Holy Spirit, who sanctifies us, which just means makes us holy or transforms us, who grows us. They're so, to be so completely governed by the Holy Spirit that we can't help but imitate Christ. As believers, as the church, we need to be the place, so to speak, the location um, where God's power and God's presence are so clearly visible and experienced. 
And this isn't, it's not just an individual call. It's not just for one person to do this or us to do this alone. It's a communal call. The whole church is to be liked. The whole church is to be filled with the spirit. The whole church is to be the place where God's power and God's presence is experienced and visible. So Paul, he goes on then to talk about, I guess, the expressions of all of this different, of being filled with the spirit. So spirit-filled life is expressed through speech. And we see this in verse 19, but going back to 18, because it all connects. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual so- and songs from the spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the spirit. The way that we use our speech is important in expressing that spirit-filled life. that I want to focus in on the idea of hymns here for a second because it's not necessarily a clear distinction uh, between psalms, hymns, and, and songs of the spirit, but they, they do function quite sim- They do function very similarly, um, I guess maybe with some slight differences. But hymns particularly, as we would think of a hymn, we would think of a song uh, used in worship um, that we would sing together. But hymns traditionally in... Um, I guess the time that this was written, they weren't just a song for worship. That was one of their purposes was to be used to praise God. But they had this other purpose where they were almost more like a creed, an instructional tool. Um, They were to communicate information. They were not just poetry set to music, but they were designed to instruct another person in the faith. And if we have a look at this idea, again, we can see it in Colossians 3, 16 to 17. I'll just read that. Um, uh, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. So we see this idea that these psalms, these hymns, these songs from the Spirit, when we speak to one another in this way, it's calling us to edify the body, to build up the body of believers, to encourage one another and challenge one another and spur each other on to love and good deeds, to point each other back to Jesus. Hymns, yes, they were used for praise, but they were also used to build up the body. When we speak to one each other in these ways, and I am saying that we should speak to one another in these ways, We point each other back to Jesus and back to the way of the wise living, of the spirit-filled life, the way of imitating Jesus. And I do want to just narrow in on a second on the speaking to one another because imagine if we were looking to take every single opportunity to imitate Christ. Imagine what that would mean for our speech. If the words that we use, the conversations that we had with one another in every situation weren't just just superficial things. There's nothing wrong with just chatting about the weather or, um, you know, the basic things. But imagine if we actually spoke to one another in this encouraging and challenging way, calling each other back to Christ. If we think of the Psalms, the Psalms point to God They tell us of who God is. They um, are filled with thanksgiving for the things that he has done. They're filled with teaching and instruction. They're filled 
with real emotions and um, real experiences if we spoke to one another in those ways, whether that's memorizing Psalms and other passages of scripture and at the right time sharing those with one another, uh, whether it's just using words that really reflect that. Uh, But it's about this idea that Jesus has so completely taken over your life that you can't help but talk to one another about that, that you can't help but point one another back to Jesus. Our words matter. We don't want to waste our words. We want to make the most of every opportunity to use our words to build up, to encourage, to instruct, to remind, to call people back to God and to challenge. But the spirit-filled life, it's also expressed through praise. This is the other aspect of hymns, and it kind of comes into that sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. But hymns, they were also used for praise, um, to praise God, to worship him, to thank him as well. And this act of praise and thanksgiving, it pulls us back to God. And it's supposed to flow from us because of the spirit being so, us being so filled with the spirit gives us the right perspective and in it as well we we fulfill our purpose as as made in god's image we uh, to praise and glorify god and then we've got this little bit as well the singer make music from your heart to the lord and this idea of singing as this natural bubbling over this outflow of the joy that we have when we know christ the joy that we have as we're filled with the spirit and that God brings into a person's life. And from the heart, it's not just about, it's not about it just being emotional or about feelings. It's about it being a genuine song, a genuine outflow of praise and joy, authentic and real. Um, it comes from this deep and grounded understanding and this realisation of who Jesus is and what he has done. Uh, It understands the beautiful and complex history of God's story and the way that he's been continuously working to restore his creation. So the spirit-filled life is about the speech that we use around one another to build each other up, to encourage and to spur each other on. It's about praise, but it's also about thanksgiving. So do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks for everything, always, all the time, in every situation, no matter what's happening, seeing God's hand in everything that's going on. Um, which comes from cultivating an awareness of God, of spending time in his word through prayer, from being around other believers who in their way that they speak to you can point you back to God and remind you of truths about God. And it's a, yeah, it's about this eternal perspective, but it's also about helping other people to cultivate the same eternal perspective. Because as we give thanks for the things that God has done, other people are also reminded to do that. And they are reminded of who God is and what he has done. The best use of our time involves thanksgiving, worship, instructing, calling people back to God, edifying and spurring on. From thanksgiving and worship actually flow connection to God. They're they're so closely linked. If you are thanking and praising God and worshipping God, And speaking to one another in these ways, you can't forget about God. 
and in giving thanks as well. We give all of the glory back to God. We're surrendering. We're leaving responsibility in his hands. I just want to come back to the idea of the seal for a second or the goldfish or the chimpanzee or whatever animal you want to use that has a terrible short-term memory. We can sometimes be like this when it comes to God. We have a memory problem. We have a forgetfulness issue. And I think thanklessness, not being thankful, leads to forgetfulness. And forgetfulness leads to complacency as we forget what God has done and what he's called us to do. It leads to complaining as we are not grateful for what we have, even though there are good things there and we start to grumble and it's not productive. It leads to sin and rebellion as we forget the way God has called us to live and we forget how good he is and how much we actually desire to live in that way, to walk in the way of love. It leads to hard-heartedness. It leads to discouragement as we forget the promises of God. It leads to self-dependence as we forget that we've never been able to do it alone, as we forget the way that God has always had to come through and redeem and rescue us and help us out uh, and, and carry us, basically. But it also leads to lost generations, cities and nations. I just want to have a think about all these ideas a little bit more quickly. If we have a look throughout the whole of the Old Testament, and if you want to have a look deeper in this throughout Exodus through to Judges is a great place, but also the prophets we see this. But Judges 2, for example, Joshua's just died and the priests after him have died shortly. And it says, uh, in verse 10 of Joshua 2, uh, Judges 2, sorry. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors or they'd passed away, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what they had done for Israel, then the, uh, nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. I would say that Israel probably had a bit of a thankfulness problem because they forgot. And how do you forget if you're thanking God and if the stories of the things that have been done from bringing out of Egypt, uh, from the promises of Abraham, if those stories are being told and you're thanking God for those things together as a community, how do you forget? And we see this pattern in Judges of the people basically forgetting God and forgetting what he has done. And then spiraling down into sin and then they remember God and they call out to God and God raises up a judge um, and they reclaim some land and things are good for them for a little time. And then they forget again and the spiral just continues down, 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 down. We see this idea in the prophets as well as the priests are not doing what they're supposed to be doing and the people have been led astray. And then we have the exile as punishment for all of these things. It's a judgment for them. Um, Tell them remember what God has done. All of it is about calling people back to remembrance. God, thanklessness produces forgetfulness. Thanklessness produces complacency and pride and self-dependence and discouragement. But thankfulness calls people back to God. It reminds us. Um, And if we just think about Psalm 106 as well, I won't read it all. 
Um, but just a little section in verse 6. We have sinned even as our ancestors did. We have done wrong and acted wickedly. When our ancestors were in Egypt, they gave no thought to your miracles. They did not remember your many kindnesses, and they rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his namesake to make his mighty power known. Um, and then again, down in verse 13, but they soon forgot what he had done and he did not wait for his plan to, and did not wait for his plan to unfold. In the desert, they gave in to their craving. In the wilderness, they put God to the test. So he gave them what they asked for, but sent a wasting disease among them. And it continues on like that, this idea of forgetting what God has done. Thankfulness is really important. Thanking God, not just thanking anyone, not just sending out a thankful thought into the abyss, but directing your thoughts to God and remembering all the things that he's given us is really important. This idea of drunkenness, it leads to all of these things that thanklessness leads to, this complacency, complaining, sin, rebellion, forgetfulness, hard-heartedness, discouragement, self-dependence, and this lostness. But the spirit-filled life, this life of praise, this life of thanksgiving, this life of speaking in this edifying and encouraging and challenging way leads to remembering, to remembering God, to remembering what he's done, to remembering how he's called us to live, leads to obedience and faithfulness, it leads to praise and worship, it leads to confession, to hope, to joy, to peace, to faith, leads to prayerful dependence, and it leads to mission as we are propelled out um, and spurred on by one another to do that, to make sure that future generations do not forget the things that God has done. Imagine, imagine the difference that we would see in our city, in Penrith City, in our nation, if our churches woke up, if they leapt out of their grave, if they leapt out of the darkness, left it completely behind, became light because they are in the light, were filled with the spirit and lived this out. If they would, if we would speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and to make music to God in our hearts, if we would let our whole lives focus on Jesus and the building up of believers, if we took every opportunity for every single word to come out of our mouths, to be words that build up the body, to be words that praise God, to be words that thank God, to worship him, to teach and instruct one another, to call each other to more, to challenge and encourage. Imagine the difference that we would see if we would sing and make music from our hearts, if we would only let our joy overflow from the world for the world to see, believers and non-believers alike. Imagine the difference if we would remember all that God has done and if we would thank him for it. We would not fall into the trap of complacency or comfort, which is a big problem for us in the Western church. We would not become distracted and captive to the things and the ways of the world. We would live wisely, making the most of every single opportunity, giving glory to God in everything. Imagine how many people would be saved. Imagine how many people would grow as disciples. Imagine how many generations could be saved as this habit of speaking to one another in these uplifting and building up kind of ways. And this habit of thanksgiving, this habit of praise, this habit of letting our every word that comes from our mouth be good and pleasing to God. Imagine 
what would happen. Imagine how that would spark a revolution. Imagine how that might spread. It might seem like an impossible task, but nothing is impossible with God. And he wants to see people saved. Our God is an awesome God. He is a powerful God. He has done great things. We can see that in the Bible. We can see that in our own lives. We can see that in the lives of our community. He can break this spiritual complacency in our city. He can lead us to remember where we have forgotten. He can call people back to himself. He can raise people from from the dead. He can uh, can wake people up. He can reveal himself and change lives through Jesus. But we need to live this spirit-filled life. And what a blessing it is to be able to do that in community. So what's your memory like? How might thankfulness help with your memory? How might belonging to a body of believers whose speech calls us to remembrance and to praise help your memory? How can you help someone else's memory? Let us be thankful for his love endures forever. Let us praise and worship because he is worthy of it. And let us build each other up so that all might come to faith. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you so much for who you are and praise you for that. And I thank you for the way that you have been working everything out leading up to Jesus and even after that throughout history, for the way that you have loved us, um, for the instruction that you've given us. Lord, I just ask that you help us to walk in that way, to use every part of our speech to glorify you. Just ask that you help us to do this as we go out into the week. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless.